Wachowski, you would want to watch Killer Condom. It's so full of gay. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. Alex, the smart, the smarky, the Marquis de Suede is with me. Smarky. I like that. Yeah, the smarky. So we'll, we'll keep my blooper as your new nickname, maybe? I don't know. Our new regular Cecil Trachtenberg. Hello once again. Now, Cecil, you are the new regular. So we get to haze you. Do the Adam and Eve promo. Oh, God, from memory? Let's yes. see. Uh, if you use the... Ter- uh, go to adamandeve.com, and if you use the keyword drome... Or wait, no, yeah. If you use the keyword drome, you get 10% off... 50% off 50, of a single item. 50% off a single item and a mystery gift that may or may not be anal beads. There's more. Um... Three free DVDs. Three free DVDs. And free U.S. shipping. And free U.S. shipping. What a deal. What a bargain. Oh, my God. Pull down your pants now. Just save time. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. One of these weeks, you're going to get this without having to be assisted, by the way. Uh, Well, if I would have known, I would have went back and listened to one of the old episodes and gotten ready. And if you would have known I wouldn't have done this to you, then it wouldn't be hazing. Exactly. Then it wouldn't be nearly as funny. What we're actually going to talk about tonight, I'm looking at it as a natural progression from both what we discussed last week and sort of with Blockbuster going under, how the acquisition of media has changed, how we watch movies, how we used to watch movies, and how even the generation before me used to watch movies. We all used to go to the theater. I can say right now, I rarely go to the movie theater anymore. I really just don't do it all that often anymore. I can't afford it. It's got to be a special movie that I just cannot wait for for me to go see it in the theater. Otherwise, I can wait for home video. That says something right there. Do you still go to the movies as much as you used to? Kind of, but only recently. Just a quick story. Way back in 2007, uh, I went to see 300 in the theater and had one of the worst experiences ever. Like, people brought their children to the theater, people on their cell phones. It pissed me off so much. I was like, I am not going to the movies anymore. So I stopped going to the theater for a long time. And it wasn't until last year when I finally broke down and was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot again. And I went and I saw the Avengers, and then I didn't see anything else for a while. And just recently, found like the perfect time, like on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, me and my wife are going to see various movies, and we've had really good luck. Uh, we've went. There's only been a couple people in the theater, you know, no idiots, and we've seen probably about maybe six or seven movies so far, and had really good times. So we're kind of getting back into the swing of actually going to the movies. So I'm still like just nervous that we're going to go see some, you know, we're like because we went to see Thor last week and the theater was crowded. But 
people were still cool. So I think maybe we're kind of getting beyond the point of where people aren't, you know, on their cell phones and movies anymore. They're starting to realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't do this. So I, I'm kind of getting back into going to the movies after not going for a while. I don't go to the movies as often anymore, but for a variety of reasons. Because I can go when it's not as busy. Because I do get irritated with the rest of the audience. But sometimes I really enjoy the rest of the audience. It really depends on the movie. I really don't get to that side of town much because I hate driving. And I live in a town that has the worst possible bus schedule ever. Does the fact that, as I pointed out when I introduced this, I can just wait till video. Does that factor into anything? Or, for instance, you found out that a new movie that's coming out to theaters, let's just say because the new Thor movie is out right now, for the sake of argument, it is not coming to home video for two years. That if you don't see it now, you're not seeing it before 2015. Would that change your perspective on how often you would go to the movies? Most definitely. Definitely. Because that is what we used to have. You used to have, before home video became so entrenched and that, that window between theatrical and home kept shrinking and shrinking, you had a good year, year and a half, two years between the theatrical run of a movie and its home video release. You might have, if it's a big enough movie, it pop up on cable or the network, you know, NBC Night at the Movies. That was only for the, the bigger stuff. So I think that is one of the things that changed so much especially nowadays, and let's leave bootlegs out of this right now. Okay, let's leave camcorders and all that out of this. I think the audience now, the window is so small, they know if they don't go see Thor, it's going to be out before Valentine's Day, so what's the point? But, I mean, the movies are still making bank. I mean, they're still doing really well theatrically. They're always uh, pro you know, producing these giant, monstrous numbers. So somebody's still going to the theater en masse. I mean, there's a lot of movies that I, I can wait for. So that's kind of where I draw the line where I'm like, ah, that looks cool. But, you know, I'm not going to run out, you know, pay uh, you know major theatrical prices. I'll just wait for it on DVD. I'll either get it for Netflix or if, if I want it enough, I'll just buy it from Amazon. So it's kind of a mixed bag, really. Depends on, I guess it just depends on the movie anymore. Well, the fact that... I've got so much on my plate that it's usually by the time it hits video is when I would get around to watching the movie anyway. And it, it mostly is because that window of opportunity is narrow and narrow, you know, that, that time before it hits home release. Do you think that the newer generation with streaming or, or even a lot of companies now that are doing the, the same day release, th there's a few movies that are, are on demand for like, $20 the same day it comes out in the theater, you can watch it on your DVR or on Netflix, that, that this is becoming so instantaneous. Do you think that, and I know I sound like a crotchety old man here, but that, that, that the newer generation, that the younger generation just doesn't understand the waiting that we had to go through, the searching through the TV guide, hoping some weird movie was played because it's not available on home video? Do you think this instantaneous I can just get the movie next week does end up hurting the film experience or do you think it enhances it I don't know I mean I kind of like the ability of of like oh I really want to see this so oh good you know I can I can watch this now 
I, I don't think, uh, I mean, the theater experience, it does work for certain films. Certain movies really are just better with a bigger crowd, especially comedies. Like if you have a lot of people, uh, if, if you get a bunch of friends together and you all go see a comedy and you really just get into it together, then yeah, that is an experience that you're not going to have, you know, just by yourself watching it, you know, at home. I, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's really hurting it because it's just making it more accessible. There's a lot of people that have kids. There's a lot of people that, you know, maybe for whatever reason, they can't get out of the house. Or in a certain case, like what happened to me this weekend, there was a movie that just came out last week called How I Live Now that I really, really, really wanted to see. But we were going to go like, but last week we had already planned to go see Thor. And I'm like, okay, it just came out last week. We'll catch it, you know, this coming weekend. Well, now it's already out of theaters. I looked up and it's still available. Like Amazon has it available for streaming. And I'm like, okay, I can pay seven bucks to see this. So at least I can still see this and I don't have to wait, you know, three months or whatever until it comes on DVD. So, I mean, there is the convenience factor, which I do really like. I do really love that convenience factor, too, because a lot of the ones that you see that come to, like, same day as theaters when they hit streaming, a lot of the independent ones, which wouldn't play where I live anyway, because we've just got the one multiplex. And if I wanted to see this movie, I'd have to drive an hour away to the next biggest town where they have the theaters that show the limited release. It makes it much more convenient to watch the movie when it comes out instead of having to wait. So I do like the, the instant streaming stuff. And... It totally works for me. I can see what you're saying there for newer stuff. What about for older stuff? What about if, let's say, you want to see RKO slash Universal's King Kong, the original 1930s version? Do you think it becomes easier to see now or more difficult to see now with all the options, and especially with all the different versions? Because you've got, well, this version's got all these scenes in it, well, but see, then this version was missing this scene, but it's got a new score. This version has this. This version has that. Do you think that it makes it easier to see older movies or or not? Because one of the things that's saving the mom-and-pop video stores right now are older movies. Because if they want to see a movie from the 80s or the 90s, Redbox doesn't have it. Netflix doesn't have some of those but you can still go to your local video store and, and buy those. Mom and pop stores across the country are still staying in business based on older movies, whereas most people, when they think of streaming and instantaneous, they they usually only think of the newer stuff. Well, the mom and pop stores have thrived with that older stuff because they are catering to a specific niche market of people that want to see these movies in those older formats, um, not necessarily on video, but... That's why they thrive. However, I love the fact that everything there is streaming. Um, specific formats of the film, it really depends on the movie to determine if I want to watch another format of it, you know, a different cut. But streaming, considering, you know, all the video stores have pretty much gone under, that's the only real option there to watch older movies nowadays. So I really can't go without it. I work with a bunch of guys and they were bitching about uh, the Netflix streaming and they were just they were all doing the oh, it doesn't have, they don't have any movies to watch when what they really meant was they don't have any new movies. And the thing is, they're getting a larger catalog like every month. 
They're making new deals. They're pushing stuff forward. And while they're doing that, they're also getting like the back catalog stuff. So whereas right now they don't have, uh, you know, the catalog that goes as back as far as maybe as we would like. But that's not to say that that's not going to happen in the future. I mean, they might come a point where you go, all right, I want to watch Evil Dead 2, but I want to watch this version of it. Or, you know, I want to watch it, you know, uh, I want to watch King Kong with the alternate score or something like that. Do you think it makes us as film fans complacent that we have everything at our fingertips? Whereas back in the day, and that's what I'm going to just say, back in the day, you had to look for these films. You had to scan the TV guide, hope they were on. Maybe this is a film you read about in Famous Monsters of Filmland for years, and it shows at once every four Thanksgivings on your local UHF station or whatnot. Do you think that it makes us more complacent? And I'm not saying whether you enjoy the movie more. We've already discussed whether the chase makes the capture sometimes more worthwhile. I just mean, do you think it makes us more complacent as we just take the movies more for granted because, to the, especially to the newer generation, these have always been available, whereas for us, if we missed a trauma film, we were just crossing our fingers and hoping it came to home video or HBO within the next three years? It's actually made it much easier to be a film fan to have all this readily available. Like I was a fan of trauma, but it was so hard to watch trauma movies because they weren't available unless I wanted to order them from the website. And at 16, you know, telling my parents, can I borrow a credit card to order killer condom? They'd say no, but having all this available, it makes it way easier to become more involved and see the movies that they put out without having to go search for them. You know, you're, able to be more passionate chowski you would want to watch killer condom it's so full of gay <laughs> it's, it is it's a, yeah it's I could, i'm just saying it's right that does not surprise me at all i i wouldn't say it makes us complacent i mean there is an element of the hunt that is lost now you know you're not like oh i really want to see this and you mark your calendar and you try to find it i mean the ability to just sit down and be like, you know, I really want to watch this movie. And you go and you look on your list and it's like it's there and you're watching it a minute later. That's just awesome. Well, let's go back in the Wayback Machine a little bit. What you used to have to do, like I said, you'd scan the, the TV guide and hope that these movies were on. You had the horror hosts, you had the shock package and stuff like that, which is where the, you know, the universal stuff tended to show up. The big thing, even before... These movies, even before UHF stations became the big deal, was 8mm digest loops. Usually from the back of like a Warren magazine or a Starlog, you'd be able to buy a a little 8mm or later on Super 8 loop of a movie that was basically the 90-minute movie edited down to about 40 minutes of things like uh, the Hammer catalog, the Universal catalog, Rodan, Godzilla, the Deadly Mantis, It Came From Outer Space, Jan and Grey, Dr. Cyclops, things like that. And then you'd have to buy the projector and you project it on your wall. That was a big special deal. I'm watching a movie in my house, not on my TV. Oh my God. He's just lost in the, in just the mundane aspect of click. There's the movie. 
Well, everything becomes mundane as it, you know, goes on. I mean, the phone was the same way. It's like, I'm talking to this person and I'm not even in the same room. But now we way take that for granted. Time and convenience changes every technology. If I can sit down uh, with, with my Kindle and watch Game of Death in bed and not wake up my wife next to me, then it it's all a moot point. I don't care bad old feeling or whatnot is just completely over you know overweighed by how great it is just the the convenience factor for me i don't take it for granted at all like i every time i'm like oh i'm gonna watch this yes it's great and i mean if you want to compare the old uh, eight millimeters to something i mean you can still get you know the hd projectors and then pull down a screen and kind of do it that way so, I mean, it's it's the same thing, more or less. It's just the new, you know, technological version. Well, and then after the 8mm stuff, you started to see the UHF channels start to pick up all these these packages of these weird, weird movies. The kind of, you know, at 3 a.m. you'd see Soul Brothers of Kung Fu or Impulse with William Shatner or Gargoyles with Bernie Casey and all this. These movies at this time, had they had no video release. Video was still relatively new. These films had left theaters, so if you didn't catch them at a grindhouse or anything, which we'll get into in a moment, then you just totally missed them. And one of the weird things, last week we talked about cable. One of the strange things was, even though channels like A&E and all that would show old movies on cable, the UHF packagers and the cable packagers tended to have different sets of movies. So you didn't get the same kind of movies between cable and UHF, which was something that was really, really interesting. So you're kind of talking like uh, like Creature Double Feature and uh, like Kung Fu Theater and that kind of stuff? That, that kind of stuff plus late, late night at the movies. Just all of a sudden, 3 a.m., you're flipping through some UHF station, Warlords of Atlantis on for no apparent reason. Before uh, before I had cable, uh, you know, and had uh, Monster Vision and whatnot, I mean, that's how I saw a bunch of those movies. Uh, I would just uh, I would stay up late or either I would fall asleep and then wake purposely set my alarm to wake up in the middle of the night and watch, you know, whatever uh, just goofy, crazy movie. And um, they, they were cool. I mean, it was it was neat because that was one way to get these movies that just you couldn't see any other way. So, but and in now, all honesty, in a lot of cases, these were the movies you've never heard of, so you were watching them blind too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, because you know, we didn't even have like uh, yeah, um, any kind of. I, we had like the newspaper or whatever that would have like the uh, the guide in there, but there would be these little blurb, you know, things, and it would say like one half a star, and so like I knew going in, all right, this is going to be awesome because it, you know, the the critic hated it. Because who the hell is going to go out of their way for Soul Brothers of Kung Fu? Well, I would, but when I was a kid, you know, even when we had cable, but all those UHF channels were still around. If there was something on there that caught my interest, I would watch it, or I would set the VCR to record it at 2 a.m. But there was a time um, after I had been long spoiled on all the movie channels and stuff that Martha and I lived in the middle of nowhere that didn't even have cable service, but we got network stuff, and I was bummed that UHF channels just didn't exist anymore. You had movies that the networks would show as the movie of the week, big Sunday night movie, where they would show Alligator. A monster menaces a city. An alligator half that size would starve in a week. Can anyone survive? Ah! Alligator. 
Watson, starting at 7, 6 Central and Mountain on ABC. And Battle Beyond the Stars, movies that I don't think an executive at ABC would even know who Roger Corman was nowadays. And yet ABC got their highest rating ever at the time for airing Battle Beyond the Stars as the Sunday night at the movies. Do you think that has sort of changed? As I mean, you still see it now and then. Fox will show a movie in prime time or whatnot. But you tend not to see that anymore, don't you? I don't think I've seen a network show a TV in a uh, movie, rather. I don't think I've seen a network channel show a movie in years. Those times where they would normally just fill a programming block with a movie, they've got reruns and syndicates, or they just what they do nowadays is they just marathon a show to feed people's DVRs. I remember uh, sometime in the 80s, I don't remember exactly when, there was a two-night event where one of the major networks played Corvette Summer. So, like, the first night they played, uh, you know, the first half of it, and then the next night, you know, they played the, the second half of it. And this was not a particularly long movie, so they really filled it with commercials. But I remember that just being a monstrous deal. And same thing, whoever, you know, is currently running whichever, you know, NBC or ABC, like what network executive would have no idea what this movie was. And yet here was something from back then that was this huge deal that they advertised the hell out of. And, uh, you know, we watched it and and thought it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, hell, I first saw Battle Beyond the Stars from Corman on the ABC, NBC, whatever network it was, Sunday night at the movies. Yeah. And then and then you hear Corman talk about it on the commentary. That was the highest rating they'd ever had for a movie showing up to that point. So apparently a lot of people also first saw Battle Beyond the Stars on the network TV version. How many movies had the alternate network version? Oh, yeah. Halloween was a famous one. Halloween, Halloween too. Aliens. Uh, I, I remember when... Well, no, Aliens was only technical because the Laserdisc was was coming out at the same time, but Laserdisc was only in 2% of American homes at that point. So most people saw all of the scenes with Newt's family and the, the guns in the hallways. They saw that on the ABC movie of the week rather than the yeah. Laserdisc version. Yeah, there were a lot of times where movies that I had seen tons of times on videos would just happen to be on television and I'd watch it and I'd see some scene where I'd be like, well... That's new to me. That actually, sometimes they did that specifically. I remember when Close Encounters of the Third Kind, remember how that's gone through like 90 different editions because Spielberg cannot make up his mind on what the final edit of that damn movie is? When that came to CBS or whatever it is, that that was with scenes you did not see in the theater. That that was the big deal. Watch it on TV, even though this was a hit. You're going to see new stuff. They don't even show the director's cuts on cable. I remember catching Aliens, and it was the theatrical cut, the one that just doesn't work as well when you know what's missing. Well, I never really saw it used as a selling point in my time. A lot of times this the new footage you know, was a scene that was cut for good reason because it offered nothing. Um, not, al- and- not always. They specifically did... <clears throat> With Halloween, because they knew how much they had to cut for the violence and the boobs in that, they specifically shot extra scenes for the TV version. So sometimes you got stuff shot at the same time that was different. A scary movie even did that. As bad as that was, they shot the TV version alongside, and so it has different jokes than the R-rated cut. 
Yeah, there was a there's a lot of movies I've seen on DVD where it's like, oh, brand new, you know, deleted scenes. I'm like, I saw that on TV. Well, now uh, they just added in for the, you know, the DVD. So whereas back then it was, you know, see it with new scenes. Now it's just a a blurb that they put on the front of the DVD box. You know, additional scenes not seen in theater. And uh, it's kind of funny because they're going backwards. Whereas in the TV movies, uh, they were taking out all the boobs and everything. But now with the DVDs, they're putting the PG-13 version in theaters and then releasing the uncut, you know, real version of the movie on DVD. One of the reasons that the studios, the major studios, were so scared to get on board with VHS and beta when that first came out was they thought it would affect their network TV sales. That's where they were making their money. They were making a lot of money selling their stuff to NBC, ABC, and CBS, and even to syndicators then a year or two down the line. So they were afraid home video would hurt that. When when VHS first came onto the market, do you know how little choice that there was? In 1977, when the first commercial VHSs were available in America, and you can't say what the first film was because there was three films all released at the same time. The Sound of Music, Patton, and MASH were the only films available for over a month on home video. Does that say something that they were just kind of testing the water or they were trying to save TV sales? Yeah, but with Sound of Music and Patton, you could own all of those and have seven tapes. Yeah, I, I, it it just it's it's the typical uh, mentality. They they weren't looking at the bigger picture. We run into that time and time again. When VHS first came out, they were crying that they were going to lose so much money, and they made tons of money. And then DVD came out, and they were crying about how they were going to lose so much money, and then and then they made tons of money. And then streaming comes out. Oh God, people aren't going to watch this anymore. Now you know they're just making money hand over fist. They're not looking at the the bigger picture. It's just. It's it's idiotic and it's they they just they hate change and they fight it constantly. There's also something weird to be said about the early days of video going into the video of today and that is the the availability of movies. Because obviously in the early days they were taking anything that they could and throwing it on vi- video and it was selling like crazy. It was renting, it was selling. But the syndicators also as you pointed out, Cecil, they didn't like change. The movies that they were syndicating, they talked the studios into not putting out on video. There are still movies today that you can only get on the bootleg market from an old UHF broadcast because they have never had a legitimate VHS release even. So you can only find things like the Susan Anton's The Girl That Saved the World. That has never had a home video release. That only exists in syndication. Even today, with DVD, with streaming, it is estimated that almost 40% of all of the output that was on VHS still has no digital version officially. There is no streaming version. There is no DVD. That VHS is the only way to see 40% of all of the movies, specials, and whatnot that were put out on video. Is it just me, or is that a shockingly high number, considering where we are today? I don't think it's that shocking, because there's still stuff that's getting brand new first time on DVD. You know, it keeps it fresh. 10, 15 years from now, there's going to be people saying, 40% of this stuff never got a Blu-ray release. 
it's going to be the same thing. It doesn't really shock me. Yeah, I wouldn't say shocking either. Uh, frustrating, yeah, but not shocking. I mean, because how many uh, of these movies uh, have gone through 20 different distributors? So a lot of what's holding them back from getting a DVD or a Blu-ray release. No one knows who owns the damn things no, anymore. Exactly. Nobody knows who owns it anymore, and it's cost too much to kind of go through all the, the uh, trouble of finding out who gets the rights to what. So they just say, ah, to hell with it, you know, just release Transformers again. Now, this, this is a term that, it's, it's funny how we know the term grindhouse so much, and Tarantino uses it, Rodriguez uses it. It's a buzzword now in selling movies. Fine, fair enough. What's funny is grindhouse as a term wasn't really used all that much in the grindhouse era. So it's kind of funny that we didn't adopt that term until later on. The Grindhouse was the place where you would go to see the movies your mainstream theater would never carry. This is where you'd go to see Cannibal Holocaust. This is where you'd go to see Exterminator. This is where you'd go to see Porno. And a lot of people watched these movies in the Grindhouses, not for the Grindhouse movie. They watched it for, boy, does this set it into a certain time period for air conditioning. The tickets were so cheap, you were able to buy a ticket, and they, they usually the, because of the way the grindhouses were set up, you could buy one ticket and just sit in there for eight, ten hours. So people would just go into this air-conditioned theater, kick back, maybe watch a porno, watch some guys get eaten in Cannibal Holocaust, kick back and just hang out all day in air conditioning for a dollar. Yeah, hobos would do that during the summer. Yeah, because the grindhouses were the food was because grindhouses were twenty four hours a day. There were a lot of cases where people were living in the grindhouse. They would just buy a ticket once a day and stay in there. And in the middle of summer, air conditioning. So they didn't yeah. care about the movies, but they still watched them. It was like, oh, I get a nice air conditioned seat and a movie too. Yeah, or they would like go out there and buy one of those like crappy five cent hot dogs. Yeah. It really That's what they was lived a, off of. It really was a different era, man. Oh, uh, man. I probably would have enjoyed that more than, like, the, the, the times of my crappy-ass apartment. All right, I'm going to go sit in a theater all day and watch a bunch of movies that I probably would have rented now. So it's it's cool. I mean, it's just another one of those things that's just lost. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the new generation they won't know about that. I mean, the majority of them never heard of Grindhouse until, uh, the, you know, until the movie Grindhouse came out. And like you said, that's when it kind of became a buzzword and became attached to all these things. And then they started putting out movies specifically saying this is a Grindhouse movie. And, yeah, well, what, what's funny about that kind of thing, though, Cecil, is when you have the old Grindhouse veterans like 42nd Street Pete and all that, that were... The, the guys that hung out all day at the real grindhouses on 42nd Street in New York, they're like, Death Proof? That's not a grindhouse movie. That would have been pulled after two days for being fucking boring. Again, going back to the availability, you can't also deny porno. Do you guys remember the American Triple Ecstasy? I'm sure you've all seen that commercial, that old 1986-1987 commercial for the American Triple Ecstasy channel on YouTube, right? No. <laughs> no, actually. Okay, maybe I'm the only pervert. I'm Ginger from American Ecstasy. When you see a scrambled picture on this channel, don't worry. We'll be testing the uncensored American Triple Ecstasy every night at 10 p.m. Eastern. 
It's so hot. We have to scramble. You can descramble the channel with the American Triple Ecstasy Descrambler box. $399 includes everything you'll need for the first year. The second year is only $120, guaranteed. Order now by calling 1-212-696-4111 during the day with MasterCard or Visa. Or send check or money order to American Ecstasy, PO Box 1948, New York, New York 10156. Members of American Ecstasy can use the 20% discount and pay only $319. These are the original versions, no editing. When we start officially, that's when your first year begins. You will not be billed for the Triple X testing period. If you've already ordered, you'll be getting this box very soon. Throw away the big tools and follow these simple directions. It hooks up like a VCR. Audio and video out of your satellite receiver into the box. Out of the box into your TV set. Plug the box into the wall. That's it. You'll see the hottest television in America. American Triple Ecstasy plans to bring you New Wave Hookers, Sex Drive, Smoker, Bordello, Sex Crimes 2084, and over 100 others. American Triple Ecstasy. We excite you. Well, that's kind of not too far from what people pay for their, like, season ticket sports packages for, like, every NHL game ever is $300 a year. Yeah, but adjusting for inflation, that's over a grand you're paying just for access to porno on your satellite. Keep in mind, for that, you have to have a C-band dish already, which was four or $5,000 dish and system. Yeah, that is we, a lot of money. But keep in mind... We now have the internet. We now have instantaneous access to whatever kind of porno you want to see. Whereas back then, you either went to a theater with sticky floors and watched something, or you could pay hey, a grand. if you did that, you could have met with Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that way you pay a grand. Sure, it's a lot of money, but you're getting porn delivered directly to you and nobody else is the wiser. I could see, I mean, granted, yes, it's a lot of money. But as, you know, as we both know, or as we all know, you know, it's like, well, money, porn. Mm. <laughs> Porno is really what pushes a lot of these new formats. Because one of the things that sold more C-band users, other than the free HBO, which we'll get into in a second, which wasn't really free, was the Playboy channel. And access to things like Spice. American Triple Ecstasy, and things like that, that if you knew where the transponder signal was and you knew where the dish alignment was, you could get all these channels for technically free. I mean, yes, they started scrambling like American Triple Ecstasy. You had to get the descrambler. Later, HBO did. We all remember the Captain Midnight incident, right? Captain Midnight was you used to be able to get HBO for free with a C-band dish. Well, then HBO started scrambling their signal for $12.95 a month to unscramble HBO. So somebody calling themselves Captain Midnight, which turned out to be an actual satellite salesman, ended up breaking into a broadcast of Falcon and the Snowman, threatening them, going, HBO, $12.95 a month? No way. Cinemax, the movie channel? Better watch out. And eventually he was caught. 
but that was basically that was the reason you bought a C-band dish was to get all the channels for free and then how dare they scramble what I'm legally stealing from them wait what yeah that was his issue because he ran a store that sold C-band dishes and when HBO did that he couldn't sell C-band dishes so he's like no he saw sales drop by 40% the first week people were buying C-band so they could get HBO for free so you know he saw that as a personal slight against him how dare you stop me from illegally stealing your signal that I'm not paying for. I'm supposed to be the hero in this? And then you, you had the kind of, you had the C-band stuff, and then you had, the, you had the access to porn, and then porn also goes into the availability of VHS. And I specifically said VHS, not beta. One of the reasons that VHS very quickly overtook beta was, beta was made exclusively by Sony. Sony had the patent on that format. Sony, in a move of sheer stupidity, Pitity and puritanical nonsense, they would not allow anything porno to be put on beta. VHS said, we will put out porno. You can get new wave hookers on VHS. VHS sales went up 73% in the first three months due to porno. I think it's safe to assume porno is what pushed the home video revolution far more than, you mean I can watch MASH in my house? That's kind of one of the reasons why I'm amazed that Blu-ray ended up winning because Sony pulled that again, HD DVD versus Blu-ray. HD DVD said, sure, porno, go right ahead. And then Blu-ray was like, nope, we're not doing porno. And then they, I mean, granted, there was a whole big shenanigans about how Sony paid off the right people and ended up kind of getting everybody to go with them because they were tired of losing the format war over and over again. But I was stunned. I was like, oh, Sony hasn't learned anything from the beta days. Well, I wish my parents were into porno because we were stuck with that beta max machine forever. And when it was, we'd go to the video store, there's that one tiny rack of betas, but this whole store of movies I wanted to see. Well, and then we also have to look at, with, with the home viewing, you do have the, what VCRs were like. When the VCR became big, and let's just stick with VHS at this point because beta was a joke by this point. Beta was better quality. It had better audio quality, better video quality, had more lines of resolution. They were losing the, the videotape wars really, really badly. When the VHS VCR came down in price, because it used to, when you first got one, it was like two grand in 1980s dollars. I remember going, oh my God, when my wife and I first got together in the early 90s, we bought a VCR for only $700. This is so awesome. It's remarkable we've sprayed, sprinkled, dipped, and dunked high prices in our miracle save matic price chopper. It slices, dices, chops, and juice prices into tiny bite-sized morsels. Now at Federated Superstores, an RCA modular portable VHS, a limited offer after factory rebate, $7.99.32. Whatever you do, rush to Federated. Yes, rush to Federated, or you could turn into this. <laughs> Kill high prices. Videotapes were only $40 a piece to buy a pre-record movie. Do you think that that really would fly today? Because, I mean, Blu-ray players have come down in price. that They come down so fast. Nowadays, don't you think everyone just waits? Well, yeah, everyone kind of just waits. I mean, I was it took me forever before I got a DVD player. I wanted one, but I was like, eh, it's all on video anyway. But once it started to not be on video, then I'm like, okay, better get one. And it was only like $75 for a brand new DVD player at that time. And I also had like t- more VCRs than I knew what to do with because those things were like five bucks. 
Well, one thing that you got to remember, too, was not only did you just spend an obscene amount of money to get a VHS player, but then you're like, all right, I'm going to go to the video store and I'm going to open an account so I can rent movies. And you had to give them a down payment. Yeah, <laughs> in case you walked off. Because the movies were $90 for them to buy. Mm-hmm. So in case you didn't return it, you had to, you almost had to put collateral in there to rent a movie in the early days. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to, it wasn't like going to the library where I'm going to sign up for a library card. Some of these places had pay by the month memberships too. I know how absurd that sounds to younger people, but Jesus, am I, I'm not exaggerating, am I? No, I, I don't remember how much it was, but I think it was something like, you had to give them like a hundred dollar deposit and and then you would rent, you know, a movie or whatever. And I think like you were kind of, if I'm not mistaken, I think you were kind of limited by you could only rent like two movies at a time or something. You could also rent the VCR too, but that cost a ton of money. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember because we didn't actually own a VCR the first time we rented movies. We we rented a VCR, we rented Alien and Daffy Duck's Fantastic Island. I remember reading about it in a strip of Calvin and Hobbes where he calls and he's like, I want to rent a VCR in this movie. I'm like, you could rent VCRs back then? Yeah. Well, because like I said, by like 92, 93, when my wife and I were first getting together, we're buying a VCR for $700. And that was, we saved the hell up for that. So it was, yeah, these things were absurdly expensive, which makes it even funnier to me how quickly V... VHS caught on because you got to remember VHS was in approximately 20% of homes by 1989. VHS was in over 70% of homes by 1993. That's one major ass jump in four years, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, But I mean, it's just the, again, this was a market that people wanted. They wanted to have the ability to watch this. And the prices had come down so dramatically. And the prices of the VHS tapes had come down so dramatically. I mean, they they used to be, you know, $100 or whatever if you wanted to buy the movie. And now you were able to pick them up at like a Suncoast video for like 20 bucks. They've come back to haunt you. Nelson Home Entertainment is breathing new life into some deadly videos that will make you shake, quiver, and tremor with terror for the suggested retail price of only $14.98. So enjoy some of these teeth-chattering, nail-biting titles from Nelson Entertainment. At least the price won't scare you. Not even that. I remember when my local grocery store it would have them at the checkout counter. You'd be going down and you'd be like, Driller Killer for five bucks? Texas Chainsaw Massacre for five bucks? Yeah, it was a crappy SLP EP, you know, something out from like Good Times Home Video or whatnot. For five dollars and I can own Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, I'm doing that. Hell yeah. I bought those like crazy. If I saw them at any store, places you wouldn't even think would ever sell a video. They would have those displays of like, oh, $5 movies. I was, those things were a magnet for me. And, and I think that's when you knew that movies as a home format had completely changed. It, to wind this back to the beginning, it had completely changed the way we watched movies. That we didn't have to scan the TV guide to see if Texas Chainsaw Massacre was on our local UHF station. 
You've heard about it. Now, see it. Bob Shaw hosts the Texas Chainsaw Massacre tomorrow at midnight on Channel 2. We didn't have to to wait and hope that maybe a, a re-release came out and we saw it and it, it got re-released to theaters. We didn't have to hope that HBO or Cinemax would end up showing it. We owned it. We could watch it as many times as we wanted, theoretically, with you know the issues with VHS, but at least leave that aside. I think that's when we really, really first started to notice just how much viewing a movie had changed, even within just my lifetime, let alone the lifetime of the younger person. The person that's graduating from high school this year, they have always had access to this massive movie library. I think it's interesting when you see like older people VCR still because they have all these VHSs. Like me? No, 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 not like not fans of movies, just your casual person. You know, they'll own a ton of v- VHSs because they don't like going out anymore. They also don't like buying DVD players. But it did change because not as you know, this way grandma could watch her old grandma movies whenever she wants old grandma movies <laughs> I, I gotta make a list of what what exactly would be like old grandma movies it, okay I, I think that's a new that's a new suedeism there <laughs> the old grandma i like old grandma well i don't like old grandma movies but i like the saying oh i'm definitely um, not cutting that you know <laughs> music Patton, and what was that other one? Oh, mass <laughs> yeah old grandma movies I got to say, I'm a little envious of the generation now uh, for having just this ridiculous access to all these movies, because just being able to get at, you know, the instant access to all this goodness, it, it is in a way has kind of made people spoiled because as like Louis C.K. says, you know, and now now everybody, you know, we have all this wondrous stuff, paraphrasing, but it's like we have access to all this wondrous stuff we have now back when I was younger because I mean I had a 13 inch color TV in my room attached to it you know a clunker VCR and you know I'd rent movies and have to watch it on that that but now you know you've got a a 42 inch flat screen in your bedroom when you're 13 years old and you can watch these beautiful movies in widescreen and HD it's fantastic and and this is where I'm a crotchety old man again I think in my era specifically and you guys maybe will agree maybe you won't in my era specifically, like I would watch whatever Joe Bob Briggs had on. I would watch whatever Cinemax had on at 3 in the morning, whatever the UHF channel was showing at 3 in the morning. That's how I saw all these movies. Nowadays, you, you know about the movie before you go into it. No one's just going to stumble upon gargoyles at 3 in the morning and go, is that Bernie Casey in weird makeup? Now, to see a movie like Gargoyles, you have to seek it out. I, I think... Something is lost when you can look up 40 different reviews on 40 different blogs for every movie. We went into these blind. We would have never watched Curse of the Cannibal Confederates if we had known how crappy it was. I feel like a better movie fan for having watched that, rented it, watched it, and not known what I was about to get into. But those rare moments where you happen to find a movie that, like, seemingly doesn't exist at all on the internet, you feel like you've won something. I, I actually have a couple of movies on VHS that don't even have IMDb listings. They're that obscure and rare that 
I'm just looking at him like, if I wasn't holding the movie, I can't prove this movie actually exists. I, as somebody who goes out of their way to watch really bizarre stuff, uh, I mean, I, that's how I saw uh, Blood Sucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. I saw the title and I was like, I have to watch this. Alan Smithy. And, yeah, <laughs> it was great. I mean, great in a relative term. There is something about going in blind, which is why a lot of times if I hear a synopsis of a film or something kind of piques my interest, I majority of the time won't look at what it's reviewed, won't look at, you know, whatever somebody's saying about it. I'm just like, you know what? That sounds interesting. I'm going to just give it a shot. I'll watch it and kind of base my decision on that. You know, I'm not going to base it on what somebody else thought, because there's a lot of times where there's movies that. I've watched, I've enjoyed, and then afterwards I went on to the IMDb or I went on to, you know, somebody's blog and, oh, this movie sucks. Uh, here's all the reason. And something about that kind of does taint your vision of the film. Even tangentially. Yeah. You try not to be tainted by, huh? You try not to be tainted by what somebody else says about a movie, but still kind of are. So often I'll just try to avoid it as best as possible. For me, if the movie hasn't come out within the past five years, that's how I love to experience it, by watching it, you know, based on the title and maybe, you know, a box synopsis. Just going in cold. Just going in cold. And there's been tons of movies where I'm like, based on the title and what it says on the box, uh, this sounds like it's going to be about this. And it's about something totally different that catches me by surprise, and I love it. And Like after last season, who the hell knew it was a ghost story? That movie was a piece of shit. I knew going into that movie it was a piece of shit. I know, but did you know it was a ghost movie? No. See? If I had known after last season was as bad as it was. If people want to see what Cecil thinks are these obscure movies, and a lot of the ones that you do are only available on VHS, I've noticed, where can people find Cecil Trachtenberg, who will get the Adam and Eve promo right next week? Uh, He certainly will. Uh, You can... See uh, what I think about all kinds of stuff on goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. Marquis de Suede, where, where, at, are, where are your suede-isms kept? At geekjuicemedia.com. And you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. You can go to my website, 1201beyond.com, where you can also purchase T-shirts for Radiodrome, Lost in the Static, any 1201beyond show, Either Geek Juice t-shirts there. We'll probably have good bad flick t-shirts there sooner rather than later. And I'm also at geekjuicemedia.com. So have a good night, guys.
is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.